Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It certainly seemed like the right thing to do to say yes to an invitation from the good people of Bethel Pentecostal Church in Dorchester for this past Monday evening. Inevitably, though, when I'm invited to interfaith events, I experience an almost physical sensation of squeezing into a box or perhaps a closet. There are so many things about me that are offensive to these sisters and brothers. I'm a woman. I am an ordained woman. I'm Unitarian, not Trinitarian, and the risen Christ does not factor into my theology. My white skin and the way I dress or don't dress and sometimes where I was raised and where I went to school also make me other. And yes, I'm happy, but that's not what I meant when I said gay. (laughs) It's a wonder I have the audacity to get out of bed in the morning, let alone entertain the delusion that I have any business at an interfaith gathering. I went anyway, along with seven Arlington Street members and I loved absolutely every minute of it. The proposed agenda for the evening was a study circle on the challenges facing neighborhoods in our city. Crime, economic disparity, tensions between different groups. We spent no time whatsoever on this agenda. Instead, we toured three of the four buildings on the city block they have purchased to serve their community and their God, ate a beautiful meal lovingly prepared for us by our hosts, and sat together to talk about really important things, the neighborhoods in which we were raised, a time in our respective churches when we'd felt as if we really belonged, In some ways, we as church members are called to further serve the growth and depth of the beloved community. The Bethel group was all black-skinned, and our group happened to be all white-skinned. We were aware of that difference, but we didn't let it divide us. In fact, one Bethel member, David White, gave voice to the very Unitarian Universalist precept that the strength of our unity relies on our diversity. Throughout the evening, we lifted up ways in which we were connected and alike, from Talia Rivera, who grew up in the projects of the South End, to Sarah Richards, who grew up in rural Iowa. Three of us in the room, two Bethel members and I, had all been deeply and positively affected by METCO, the program which buses kids out of the city to suburban schools. It was a love fest. And I was reminded by our new friends of something about church that I'd forgotten. Bethel's minister, Pastor Gwen Weeks, shared with us that her faith is a faith of relationship. Jesus, she told us, was a schmoozer. (laughs) He was always getting himself invited to all kinds of people's homes for dinner. 
he was a regular party animal. <laughs> Even at the very end, Jesus and company were eating and drinking together. The heart of the spiritual community, she said, is fellowship, food, and friendship. And she added, fun. So we laughed and ate, and did we finish our agenda? We did not. Could we really even have begun to work on our agenda without this kind of time together? I suspect not. We just gave ourselves to the good, hard work of loving one another, and so celebrated the truest means and ends of spiritual community. The changing religious identity of the United States was featured in the New York Times on Monday and was the lead story on Tuesday's Boston Globe. Based on an ex extensive study by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, the conclusions show that the United States is in the midst of a period of unprecedented religious fluidity in which 44% of American adults have left the denomination of their childhood for another denomination, another faith, or no faith at all. I found two statistics particularly compelling. First, Protestantism, on which this country was founded, has continued to decline as it has since at least the 1980s. What does this mean for the institutions of North American life which were founded on traditional Protestant values? Tolerance, civility, individualism. What are the new influences being brought to bear on the public square? And second, Catholicism, the biggest single denomination in the country and the dominant faith group here in the Northeast, is losing members nationwide faster than any other major grouping. One in three people raised Catholic is now a former Catholic. A flood of overwhelmingly Catholic immigrants, though, mostly from Latin America, is helping to offset that loss. Boston College's Alan Wolf said, the study confirms that religion in America is achieved rather than ascribed. It's something we choose. And in that sense, it's so different from what religion has been like for the previous 2,000 years of history. So I want to ask this question of us. What are the ways in which we distinguish ourselves as a spiritual community of choice? And I return to the fact that our faith, like the faith of Bethel's Pastor Weeks, is a faith of relationship. Our guiding principles, love, service, justice, peace, call us to be in relationship with one another and with the world. This is the beloved community. The Pew study reveals a trend toward more personal religion of the kind that evangelical churches offer. Professor Stephen Prothero, chair of the religion department at BU, Boston University, says, those losing out are offering impersonal religion, and those winning are offering a smaller scale personal religion. Mega churches succeed not because they are mega, but because they have smaller ministries inside. 
It starts with the welcome at the front door. It continues with the welcome in the pew and the welcome in coffee hour. It extends to the fellowship, food, friendship, and fun that can be part of even our most important and potentially most serious meetings and in the good work in the world to which we are so committed. The relationships have to come first. When they do, everything good will follow. To really flourish, we all need food, clothing, and shelter, and something for our souls. This is where church, this church, this congregation, all of us, comes in. This is where we distinguish ourselves as a spiritual community of choice. They will know us by our love. And how might we cast a wider embrace so that we become the spiritual community of choice for the 16 plus percent and growing group of citizens who say they are no longer affiliated with any faith tradition? How will they find us when the going without a spiritual community gets rough or when they've just had enough of going it alone? They will know us by our love. Reverend Rosemary Bray McNatt, my friend and colleague at the Fourth Universalist Society on the Upper West Side of New York, was in Kenya earlier this month and as an ambassador of the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, visited a camp that had been established to house refugees from the recent post-election humanitarian crisis there. I want to share with you her thoughts on what we need to really flourish. She writes, all across Kenya, the camps came into being after the political fallout took on ethnic dimensions and thousands of women, children, and men were forced out of communities where they had lived in peace for generations. These internally displaced persons, IDPs, now live in tents far from home, line up for inadequate food and wait for help that seems a long way away. Yesterday was Valentine's Day. She writes, even in the IDP camp at Matari, a Nairobi neighborhood with slums of its own that preceded what folks have called the skirmishes. When my friends suggested that we visit the camp, I was hesitant. Curious as I was about how bad things might be, I was just as worried about being a tourist on the Africa misery circuit. But another friend, a Kenyan leader, felt differently when you visit these places, she said, you are showing your concern. There is a lot to be concerned about. In the blazing afternoon sun, hundreds of people are sleeping in minuscule plastic tents from UNICEF that can only keep them from getting wet but do nothing to keep them from near suffocation. People are boiling porridge in the open air. Old men and women drink water from plastic cups. At one end of the camp, an evangelical prayer service is underway with dozens of women singing and dancing praises to God. In the fetid desperation of a makeshift camp, the words spoke of the same loving God who would sustain them in every situation. It is a theology I experienced for most of my own life, Reverend Rose continues, even when I have been dancing on the edge of doubt or despair. But this afternoon, amid my aching, outraged sadness here in Matari, I found myself asking the same question we used to ask ourselves in clinical pastoral education as we worked with the sick and the dying 
Where is God in all of this? For today, the answer was, God is in the roses. All over this camp, the people here are carrying a red rose, even several. On Valentine's Day morning, they were donated by concerned Kenyans for peace. And by afternoon, they are everywhere. A man who has lost the use of his legs is dragging himself around the compound, clutching his red rose. Children are chasing each other, laughing, tapping each other with red blossoms, or holding them by the stems to sweep the ground. Here and there, you can see red rosebuds adorning the very top of a UNICEF tent, adding sporadic signs of beauty amid the terrible disruption. On the way home, my friends and I talked about those roses for a long time. Wouldn't it have been better to sell the roses and give the money to get those people out of there? Shouldn't they have been giving food instead of flowers? But I found myself remembering the old trade union song with its words of struggle and hope, sometimes sung in our worship service, give us bread and give us roses. My spiritual companions, here are my favorite words from that great anthem. Our lives will not be sweated from birth until life closes. Hearts starve as well as bodies. Give us bread, but give us roses. Yes, we need bread, but we will thrive with roses. The business of the church will always go better when we prioritize the business of caring for one another. We can't eat agendas, but we can build them as we eat. We can't laugh when we are taking ourselves too seriously, but we can take ourselves seriously and remember to make each other laugh. Love, service, justice, and peace begin with relationship. The beloved community is built one soul at a time. Let us build with love.